0: At this moment, the favorite on the National Tote Board is Kurt Karnak. Dozens of video cameras have been set up to cover every corner of the area chosen for this event. Also, we have remote control TV cameras to cover the unexpected whenever and wherever it may happen. We guarantee you won't miss one moment of the action if you gentlemen are agreed we can start the meeting in a few minutes i consider it a complete waste of life maybe that's a scientific viewpoint but politically i don't think so it's a good way to get rid of them sooner or later they could be a problem for us we've gone beyond political morality what counts now is secrecy if a word of this leaks out we're finished right now there are five million people watching tv even another nuclear attack would not distract them no one will notice a thing press will be kept out. The government will have nothing to fear. I give you my word. Now gentlemen, we'll watch the game. tell you to go back to your room and ask forgiveness for your sins? Did you? Why didn't you pray for yourself? Monica told me everything. Everything? All about you and her making love. Did she really say that? Yes. And you believed her? Yes. I became insanely jealous. Jealous? Jealous of me? Yes. Because you see, I'm in love with Monica. Monica, I guess. Is this a friend? No, this is my mother. Oh, but she can't be, she... Only in the sense that I'm married to her father. Actually, we're much closer than just mother and daughter. I saw you were not wearing the undergarments prescribed by our order. When I received you into our convent, I was convinced of your penitence. I welcomed you because I thought God would perform a miracle. About her skin. The flesh should be purified and punished
1: for your sins. Hello, and welcome to the Film and Water Podcast, proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Rob Kelly, and it's time for another drive in double feature. And of course, that means with me in the front seat, or
2: maybe the back, is Max Romero. Hi, Max. Rob, <laughs> did you know bladder trouble is God's punishment on sinful flesh? <laughs>
1: I, I learned that from the, one of the films we're going to talk about today.
2: Yes, this
1: is the long-awaited... Because you demanded it, people. And I mean that literally. You demanded it. Uh, this is GemserCast, which means Max and I are going to be talking about two films starring the beautiful, the exotic... Laura Gemser, star of a great many terrible movies, and we're here to talk about uh, two of them. Uh, Who knows, Max, if this goes well, maybe we'll do more of these, and this episode will be a, uh, shall we say, backdoor pilot? I don't know. (laughs) Starting out really classy here, so so anyway. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, no. So, okay, we're going to be... (laughs) Starting off, for the two films we're going to be discussing, uh, first up is uh, Sister Emmanuel from 1977, and then we're going to end with the Italian post-apocalyptic action blockbuster Endgame. No, not the one you're thinking of, <laughs> the one from 1983 starring Laura Gemser, but before we get to all that, we want to talk about like why Laura Gemser, who is Laura Gemser, why are we talking about her, and... Brief biography. She was born in nineteen fifty, born in Indonesia. She moved to the Netherlands in nineteen fifty five and quickly got into modeling. She first appeared uh, in the nineteen seventy four erotic Italian film Free Love. Her second film was Black Emmanuel. And she would go on to appear in twelve Emanuel films. Wow. Yeah, uh, she would. I believe that that's called the Infinity Saga. And it ends with <laughs> <laughs> Emmanuel in the Country in 1982. She did play other characters named Emmanuel in films like 1982's Violence in a Women's Prison. <laughs> And they put it right out there. And 1983's (laughs) Women's Prison Massacre. I believe both films were endorsed by the League of Women Voters, if uh, memory serves.
2: Well, you know, one one is naturally going to lead to the other. Exactly right.
1: Exactly. You got violence, and then you're going to get a massacre. Her last film, (laughs) her last film was 1993's Una Tenera Storia in an uncredited role. She retired to design costume jewelry for films, and she's still around today. Uh, she did appear in some other films, a little more on the legit side, if we want to use that word. She was in Voyage of the Damned, which featured uh, Orson Welles. So it means I've seen that movie. She was in Ator the Fighting Eagle. The Bushido Blade and the Dirty 7, which is, is of course, five less good than the Dirty Dozen. Uh, <laughs> I discovered her when I was a, uh, a teenage, very early teenager, and we moved from – when I was a kid, we moved from Philadelphia to southern Jersey, and we got uh, – we were very early in getting cable. And we got – one of the things that we got in our cable package was a local cable – a local um, movie premium station called Prism, which was the local version of like an HBO except it carried uh, Philly Sports. So that's what my dad got it for. What he did not get it for was the (laughs) softcore adult films that they ran on Friday nights and Saturday nights. So, of course – Being like 11 or 12 years old, I was like, I got to check this out. And one of the first films I ever saw was Black Emmanuel, which starred Laura Gemser. Laura, I mean, you can Google her. She is unbelievably statuesque, beautiful. I mean, built – a face built for the movies. I mean, Mm -hmm. absolutely. And they immediately – again, as we talked about, her first film was called Free Love. They plugged her into mostly – Uh, erotic films, and then she did some other, she did some horror and some action and some other things, but basically she built her career on these Emmanuel films. And I, I mean, as a a 12 year old, it was pretty startling to see someone so (laughs) beautiful doing these things I'd never seen before. And so she always remains a sort of a beloved figure from my adolescence of this, this beautiful, a uh, woman who appeared in these sort of strange foreign films that I would have no experience with, and I got to see her naked, and that was a big deal to a twelve-year-old. I mean, it just was. I mean, I, I, there's no other way around it. So, Max, like, what is your history with Miss Uh
2: Very similar. Uh, I don't remember if we were—I don't remember if we were buying cable or if we were stealing cable at the time, <laughs> <laughs> but I know we had cable and. And in those days, um this is gonna be shocking for the for the youngsters out there, but in those days we had cable boxes. Oh
1: yeah. Yep. And
2: what and what it was was this god awful ugly can box with beige buttons on a really long cord yep. so you could you could take it to your couch. Yep, and literal press little switches for, too,
1: like flick, flick, yeah. flick, flick, flick.
2: Yep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um and when you push the buttons, it sounded like an added, adding machine. It was like the dong. And what we figured out was that if you pressed two of the buttons together, you could get different channels.
1: Yes.
2: You remember? Yes. And so, <laughs> including things like Showtime and Cinemax, which, which at the time, I don't know if it still is or not, but at the time were very much uh, places where these, you know, softcore porn and uh, just – you know, bottom-of-the-barrel genre movies were, were shown, especially late at night. And I think, I want to say that Black Emmanuel was also my first oh, wow. uh, introduction to Laura Jemser, probably. Um, and I know there's other Emmanuels. I can't remember her name right now, but to me, Laura Jemser is Emmanuel. And as you said, she is just undeniably a beautiful woman. I mean, she is just an incredibly, objectively beautiful woman, who cannot act Well, <laughs> so. well
1: I mean I, Well okay I mean we can argue That the, the material She was given Probably wouldn't test the acting yeah. metal of anybody in particular, but, right. but she was often dubbed. Let's say that that's too, yes. I mean, she was, I mean, she's dubbed, I think throughout, uh, end game, uh, yes. I believe now, I, you know, this is where, if I may make another connection to Marvel, um, I always thought she would have been, if they had ever, I mean, this never would have happened obviously up until recently, but she would have been an amazing live action mantis. From the yes, Avengers. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, it, I, I, you can almost picture that Steve Englehart must have, like, written that character, the Celestial Madonna, kind of almost in, in you know, based on Gemser in some sort of way. Because, I mean, if she mm-hmm. came out from the 70s, she would have been a perfect person to play that. Of course, the more, there were no such thing as Marvel movies back then. At least there they wouldn't have had anything with Laura Gemser in them. <laughs> but, I mean, she just had this very exotic appeal. And, you know, it was sort of funny. I remember... Just to tell one more story about Black Emmanuel was I remember I watched it at home and it opens up with this scene I believe she's in a car and the, the 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 opening theme song is just the guy going Black Emmanuel! like that's the whole thing and she's getting she's getting gas and the gas pump guy is suggestively placing the gas pump into the gas tank and then pulling it out and putting it back in and pulling it out and I just remember just being like sort of, wow. And then literally the Monday after that, I went to school. I think I might have been – I guess I would have been a junior high or maybe a freshman. And a friend of mine must have watched it at the same time because he just kept singing, Black and Manuel. We were both just enjoying that very much. We should not have been talking about such things at that age. So, uh, yeah, I mean it's – I don't even know how it got started, but on the Who's Who uh, feedback thread, I think I mentioned Laura Gemser at some point, mm. and the dang thing just metastasized because then it became everybody was mentioning Emmanuel, uh, or right. Gems, Laura Gemser, and then Shag stupidly said he didn't like that, which made everybody want to do it more, of course. <laughs> and then the comments spread over to Digest Cast, which drag- drove Shag even further nuts. That people keep asking for GemserCast. Uh, by the way, the other Emmanuel was uh, Sylvia Christel. That was the other one. That, that's, that's, yeah. that's, that's the two camps. It's really the Biden-Sanders kind of divide <laughs> there uh, of Emmanuel films. Um, so, so everybody's been asking, when are we going to do GemserCast? Now we're here. We're doing... Double feature of Gems are cast. So, I said, the first movie we're going to talk about is Sister Emmanuelle from 1977. Uh, the plot, uh, as such, uh, is renouncing her sinful past. Emmanuel has entered a convent and has dedicated herself to a life of service. Yeah, that's not going to take. Enter Monica, the free-spirited, free-loving daughter of a wealthy baron. Emmanuelle is charged with keeping Monica in line, but when the young girl's wild ways bring back memories of her own sensual past... Emmanuel begins questioning her own religious and sexual identity. Advances from an escaped killer who is hiding in the convent served to complicate matters further. That's an understatement. Um so okay, a couple of things about Sister Emmanuel. By the way, you can find this film on uh YouTube. Uh very unhelpfully uh Posted as Black Emmanuel, White Emmanuel. That's not the right. film. It was given the wrong name, so whoever posted this wasn't paying attention, but I still appreciate that they, they put it up.
2: Yeah. Uh, oh, they, and, and if I could just say, you have to be careful because I did a search for Sister Emmanuel the first time, and you actually get a sister named Emmanuel.
1: Oh, okay. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's it's, so, it's very different. Very different. Very different. <laughs> um, one of the things I thought was funny is that apparently none of these Emmanuel films have any continuity. With any of the other ones for the most part. So they're kind of like uh, the, the DC films really stole that idea from Emmanuel, I would say. Um, so it's basically, you know, they, it, she's playing Emmanuel from film to film, but there's no direct connection. Uh, this film was directed by Giuseppe Vari, aka Joseph Warren, sure. Uh, he, he did films like Shoot the Living and Pray for the Dead, Hole in the Forehead, and Attack of the Normans, which I can only assume stored uh Norman Fell and Norman Lloyd I don't know. <laughs> uh, but uh, and uh, it coast his two, her two co-stars are uh the actor Gabriel Tinty who plays Rene, he's the escaped killer. He was actually married to Laura Gemser. Uh in oh. real life lucky bastard, uh he died in 1991. He racked up 139 credits. Wow. Uh a lot of which were films with his wife Miss Gemser. He was well, in other
2: Yeah, that makes sense because he's going to be in the second movie we talk about also.
1: That's right. Uh, He was in other films like Flight of the Phoenix with Jimmy Stewart, The Dirty Seven, which I already mentioned, uh, something called Don't Trust the Mafia, which is just plain good advice, uh, Endgame, and his last film was the low-budget horror film The Crawlers. The other major star uh, in this film is Monica Zanchi, who plays Monica. Uh, she was in a, She was in films called "Very Close Encounters of the Third Kind," <laughs> "Dirty World," and she's in the classic zombie, the Lucio Fulci film "Zombie." Her last film was 2011's Naftalina. and basically, the whole plot of this is this Monica girl is just out of control, and they sent her off to the to the you know to the convent. And they put Emmanuel in charge of her, which is, of course, a catastrophically bad decision. Because, as we know, Mona, you know Emmanuel is struggling with her own sexual past. So, okay, Max, what what did you think of, of Sister Emmanuel?
2: <laughs> you know, you you had sent me a text, kind of warning me about this movie Oof. before I saw it. Um, but I have to say. I think I liked it more than the other movie we're going to talk about. Okay. Uh, strangely enough. Um, and I don't know if that's just a, a penchant for softcore porn. <laughs> or... Brave of you to admit that. Matt. <laughs> or if it's, um, I guess in a way it was just kind of, uh, this is not the right word, but kind of a, a cute kind of movie, I guess. I mean, it's entirely predictable. Um, and But at the same time, it's really kind of harmless and – well, sort of. But <laughs> I, th- I, I thought it was – I thought it was really um, – I, I, I like how they kind of just went full-on nymphomaniac with the Monica character. Oh,
1: she is. She – I don't – I honestly don't think there's a scene in this no. film where she is not banging the other person in the scene. I don't think she or, has a scene where she's not having sex.
2: No, or at least trying to, or like you know? right
1: at the very least yeah. trying to hump whoever it is in her man or woman. It doesn't
2: matter. Yeah. Oh yeah. No. 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 And I mean, it it is in a way because you know you these Emmanuel movies you, you you come to see Laura Gimser, um, but really it's it's uh, the Monica character who is she is naked ninety nine percent of the time. She
1: gets fully naked seven minutes into this film.
2: Yeah. You know, she's she's writhing on somebody. You know, mm-hmm. She's, you know, just it, it is crazy how much um, I mean, she is she is what would be the definition of a nymphomaniac. I mean, everything about her is having sex and using that as a way to kind of have power over everyone else. And it, but it's funny because it's for her. She doesn't really care. No, she doesn't care what she gets out of it. She's just she is playing with people. And and has no – she has actually absolutely no hesitation about it, which I think is interesting as a character for, for someone who is just so utterly unredeemed about what, what and who she is.
1: Yeah, they never give any backstory to her that, like, they never try and really – not that you really would bother in a film called Sister <laughs> Emmanuel, But, I mean, they don't even really bother saying, like, oh, she was abused or, mm-hmm. oh, she's this. It's like, no, this girl is just a nymphomaniac. And – maybe not even like that. That's a bad thing exactly because it's just like, no, she just likes having sex and that's it. I mean, this, when we first introduced to her, she arrives at the the dock where they're going to pick her, her and some of the other sisters are going to pick her up. And, um, and they're all just like the flying nun, by the way, they all have those huge (laughs) things on their heads. And she, she uh comes to the, to the dock with her mother. And we soon find out that it is her stepmother, uh, and, and yeah, thank God, because uh, she kisses her mother goodbye in a way that would probably be inappropriate in most places, um, and even the nuns are like, "Whoa, you know whatever, and then they find out that it's oh it 's just the stepmother, okay, all right but I mean yeah um, she they get on, her and Emmanuel get on the train to go to the convent, and she, again she immediately drops trowel and is just like, Oh, okay. Emmanuel. And Emmanuel is like, Monica, what are you doing? And she's like, Oh, it's nothing because so she crawls into bed and then supposedly there's like a lightning strike and she's scared even right. though she's a full grown adult. And she climbs into bed with Emmanuel. And you know, of course there's the beginning and that's the beginning of Emmanuel trying to, you know, re- stop from uh, being tempted here. There is a scene where, um, we I mean, definitely know that, 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 this Monica character is not to be trusted because she tells, Uh, While she's in bed with Emmanuel, she tells her this story about where she supposedly was uh, 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 gang-raped on a beach. And then we see the scene, and in the scene, that is not at all suggested that this was forced uh, in the scene. I mean it is clearly that she is – more, she seduced three men. She seduced men. Yeah. three men. I mean, not that that took much. You know, I mean, a girl in a bikini <laughs> yeah. comes by. That's, uh, you know. But, I mean, so, so then you're kind of like, well, wait. Like, what's happening? Is she lying? Is the flashback a lie? Or is the story lie? By the way, the three guys are, like, in really uncomfortable Speedos. They are <laughs> tiny, tiny little Speedos. But, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, when you were watching it, did you get the sense that the, the flashback was the truth or that the story was the truth? I got
2: the definite sense that the flashback is the truth, and okay. I think I think, uh, and and this is borne out in the rest of the movie, that Monica is, as I said, she's entirely she's very manipulative, and I you know she's an unreliable narrator because she lies to everybody. She lies to her to the to Sister Emmanuel. She lies to, um, she lies to her roommate. She you know and and. It's it's just obvious that she you know and and and, you know I don't want to say it's empowering because it's a a, you know that's a that's a definition I don't want to get into as far as far as that goes no but it also yeah but she is unapologetic about being a sexual person yeah and and um, she hides it only to basically avoid creating trouble for herself not because she thinks that there's anything wrong with it. Mm-hmm. which which I think is is an interesting thing. But yeah, no, she's I, I she's she's full of it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> she she gets this roommate who is like this bookish girl with big thick glasses and kind of a Dorothy Hamill haircut and she's, mm-hmm. you know, look, she's a good girl, you know. I mean, she's doing everything what the nuns want her to do. And again, Monica drops trow like 2 seconds into it and <laughs> immediately tries to seduce The roommate and the roommate is like, what are you doing? And then, of course, like like every scene in this movie, uh, people put up uh, resistance against Monica and then Monica just wears them down. I mean, she just flat out does. And I mean, it's not at all, uh, forced again, this girl is like probably weighs about 80 pounds. So I mean, she's not forcing anybody to do anything, but she just won't give up. And again, when she gets with the roommate. She just keeps advancing on the roommate to the point where the roommate sort of is like, Oh yeah, I actually kind of like this. And then, and off they go. And the whole movie is just Monica doing that to one person after the next. And so it's interesting that for a movie called Emmanuel, and you know what your audience wants. You know, you, know, you know what the audience is coming for in an Emmanuel film. It's how, how much Laura Gemser is sort of pushed off to the side a mm-hmm. little because it yep. really is about Monica. And by the way, I found this, this little piece of bio on IMDb about Monica Zanci who plays Monica. Again, I didn't want to give her even a separate name. Just Monica plays Monica. But I love this bio. This is amazing. I hope this is true. It says, slender and attractive blonde, Monica Zanci was born in Bern, Canton, Switzerland. Uh, Zanchi lived the first seven years of her life in Bern before moving with her family to Bergamo, Italy, to treat her ailing brother. Monica's family decided to settle in Italy, so she studied in Bergamo for a while prior to deciding at age 15 to leave home without informing her parents to hitchhike abroad alone. For a whole year, her family didn't know her whereabouts, to the point where the Interpol was notified of her absence. Until they started receiving bills from various hotels where she ran a scheme of checking in, pretending that her parents were on their way, and then sneak out without paying rent after a couple of weeks. Zanchi found herself traveling to such places as Spain, France, and England. Later, Monica hitchhiked to Sicily. While in Sicily, she met a movie agent who convinced her to have some still shots taken. Monica subsequently embarked on a brief acting career in various Italian exploitation pictures. I mean, so this Monica Zanchi <laughs> person sounds like a lot like the Monica in the film, like just a complete wild child.
2: Right. Yeah, because, you know, the, the little, back, little bit of backstory that they actually give Monica is she's obviously from a rich family. Um, her, her father doesn't know what to do with her. I don't know what happened to the mom, but there's a stepmom, And, you know, I I think they make some sort of mention that she's been kicked out of other schools. Yes. You know, so this is like a last resort sort of thing. And, and so, yeah, but that's all we know about her. And really that's all we need to know about her. And, and Emmanuel, apparently, um, it's alluded to that she had some sort of sinful past that she's getting away from. And in a way, I guess that's what makes her even more tempting to Monica is to, to see if she can break that vow that she's made. <laughs> yeah. So, and yeah, and that's, um, and she, Oh, you know, like you said, everyone else kind of falls for Monica immediately. Um, but Emmanuel manages to, to, uh, put her off for a while. A while. Yeah. A while.
1: Uh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> uh, I did mention that Gabrielle Tinty plays this escaped killer, uh, in this movie, and again, Monica bangs him pretty much pretty quickly in the in the convent. Um, like, it, yeah, you get, again, Gabriel Tinti doesn't uh, he doesn't force anything on them. But nevertheless, he's running around carrying a gun. There's no, I don't I never understood the sort of why they interjected the violent element in this film. Like I just it doesn't need any of that stuff. Um, when watching. Uh, this, when, when reviewing this film a second time, I actually sat through this film twice for the show. Um, I honestly think that Monica Zanchi spends more of the film unclothed than clothed. Like, I honestly think if you totaled up the screen time, the amount of time she's on the screen, she has clothes probably a couple of minutes and she's naked for the rest of it.
2: That is probably true. That, that is probably true. Yeah, because yeah, she, she is naked most of this movie.
1: It is really uh, pretty, pretty remarkable. So then the uh, Manuel keeps trying to sort kind of put her off and, and take out these unpure thoughts. Uh, different, way. I mean, of course, there's you – know, uh, Laura Gimster gets naked very quickly. She takes off her, her nun costume, and we see that like, she's practically you – know, she's wearing the nun's habit, and then she's completely naked under the nun's habit, which I'm pretty sure is not how it works.
2: Yeah. And in well, fact, there is <laughs> a scene
1: where they, where they criticize her for not having the proper undergarments. Yeah,
2: she. I was gonna say she has sacrilegious, sacrilegious panties.
1: Yeah, that's. Uh, <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. I, and then they do panty checks after that. They do. They do do penny checks after that.
1: Um, <laughs> I, you know, I know that we're 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 talking about this film as if it sounds like it's like you know, well, if you like erotic films, it actually you know mm-hmm. this sounds pretty good. But the other problem is it is the scenes where they are not well, okay. Your mileage may vary, but to me. Uh, you're watching a film, and if, if you're watching it for that kind of content, after a while, that just gets boring because you just see so much of it. And there was a mm-hmm. point where I watched this film, and I – this film was only about 85 minutes. And I watched it, and I thought, oh, well, my god. I, I, this film – I've been watching this for probably about an hour. Nope. I've been watching it for 25 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> like, Oh my God. You know, I mean, it, yeah. it really does just kind of plod along. Cause you really, it is just a series of scenes of Monica banging somebody, whether it's, again, it's her roommate or the, or the, the escaped killer guy or her stepmother who, who boy discovered by the father, by the way. Um, right. and, and it really just sort of plods along and you're like, Oh my God, this thing is sort of endless. And then it gets even weirder where at the very end, um, they decide okay, we're going we 're going to kick Monica out she 's just too crazy she 's going to kick her out right. of the convent, and Emmanuel takes her to this remote location, ties her up, binds her arms so she's you know, basically uh, trussed up, and then has sex with the escaped killer guy in front of her right which i don 't know what that is supposed to prove or do I, to Monica you know
2: I had the same problem i guess I guess it's because Monica 's been doing that to everybody else. I and guess. and maybe it's like a pop, maybe maybe it's some sort of power play. Emmanuel is telling her, "Look, I got your man." I I, I don't know. Yeah, and, I, and this is actually the second time she's had sex with with uh, the fugitive guy. Yes,
1: yes. Emmanuel does have sex with him earlier on,
2: right? And actually, and I was wrong. Um, she never actually has sex with Monica.
1: No, they never. No, they. She yeah. and Monica don't actually don't yeah. actually get it on, which is which is amazing amazing restraint. When you're <laughs> figuring, you, you know, I mean, that's what you're you're waiting for. But
2: yeah. Yeah. And 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 the and yeah, so they have sex and then it gets really weird. Right. Because then they uh, Manuel
1: gets out uh, a, a log from the fire and starts Ooh. like poking it at Monica, like like sort of quasi torturing her. Right. Which, she never actually touches her, as far as I could see, at least the way I watch it. I mean, again, the version that you see on, on YouTube is incredibly poor quality. So, I mean, mm-hmm. it's easier really for to make it out. And then we're about to spoil the big surprise ending of Sister Emmanuel, everybody. Uh, during this whole sequence, we see Emmanuel wake up on the train. <laughs> and we find out that this whole film has
2: been a dream. Oh, I wanted to throw the phone out the window.
1: (laughs) (laughs) This whole thing has been a dream. Now, of course, she has picked up Monica. That part has happened. She pans down and she sees that Monica is in the bed. So Monica is who she is. But all of that stuff that Emmanuel – that we just saw in the film never actually happened. It was all Emmanuel's sensual awakening. Right. And she takes, uh, she takes Monica – she drives Monica to the convent and hands Monica off. And then Emmanuel goes inside and takes off her nun's habit, puts her – puts a very willowy dress on where she looks – of course, because she's a Laura Gemster, so she looks absolutely fabulous – and walks out. And doesn't even say anything, and we just realized that okay, this this just by meeting this Monica person, she has awakened the true Emmanuel, and so the film ends with Emmanuel basically back out on the road, ready to bang a bunch of people. The, the whole convent thing did not take,
2: <laughs> and the universe rebalances itself exactly yeah. as it needs to. Yes. Yeah. No. It, it's um, you know, when I saw when I saw these movies, when I watched them, I watched them the way all Laura Gemsler movies should be seen by myself <laughs> late at night when everyone else was asleep. <laughs> so You mean Sandy didn't
1: want to watch sister Emmanuel? Is su- that what you're telling me? Surprising,
2: you surprisingly enough. But the, I was, when we came to that part, when, you know, when, when we come to the Bobby Ewing, you know, it's like <laughs> a game moment. I was actually like, I think I said out loud, Oh, come on. <laughs> because, <laughs> because it was so in, in a way, in a way, I appreciated it because the where the movie was going with the torture and all that stuff was kind of out of left field. Yeah. But at the same time, I was kind of like, I can't believe I just watched all this. And it was supposed to be, you know, Emmanuel's erotic train dream. <laughs> um, but, you know, it was oh, – I, 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 I don't know. It's, <laughs> but, it's so hard to sell movies that
1: are all a dream because you basically you just told the audience, well, you just wasted your time. Yeah, you just saw something that never actually happened, even in the reality of the world. So he's right. like, "Well, all right, you know." I mean, and there's there's no real good reason for it. I mean, Emmanuel could have no. had the same reaction. By the way, in the credits, it says there's script girl, which is <laughs> yeah, sure. Um <laughs> But I mean, you know what I mean? Like she could have had. They could have had the arc. Oh, I can't believe I'm using that word. They could have had the character arc for Emmanuel still happen to her. With even even if it hadn't been a dream, she could have mm-hmm. tried to uh, control this Monica girl. It doesn't work, and that awakens Emmanuel again. Back to you know, to head for six more movies. So right. it's like it didn't need to be a dream, other than just somebody thought they were really being clever.
2: I actually thought that because there's you know she's Emmanuel is driving Monica back to the train station after she, she after she's gotten kicked out of the school and. Um it, and when the, when that happens, Monica smiles, right? Because you know, obviously, she did not want to be in this in this uh, in this convent anyway. And so Emmanuel pulls over and starts, you know, follow me. And I thought, I really thought that Emmanuel was going to like take off her wimple and the habit and everything, and throw it on the side of the road, and she was going to be dressed, you know, like like she is, you know, after her dream in, in a you know a. a, a, a you know, beautiful dress like, yeah, and like all a that.
1: Black spaghetti strap top kind of thing. Right.
2: Yeah, yeah. I thought she was going to take all that off, be dressed like that, get back in the car, and her and Monica were going to go off mm-hmm. together. I Oh, that's man. What I thought Can you imagine was... that film. <laughs> I know. And I thought that was that was what was going to happen. And maybe that's why I was mad <laughs> about it being a dream. But, yeah, and it's not really... It wasn't really necessary. And in a way, I don't really understand how that dream would have been enough for her to give up her sisterhood. Mm -hmm. But again, I'm putting too much thought into this movie.
1: Yes. We've already spent a half hour talking about Sister and That film really doesn't. I I guess we should – I guess one of the things we should consider is do you think this is a good – Laura Gemser movie, if you can even say such a thing, you know where it's like. Does it present? Do, do you? If you didn't know her, do would you understand why she was such a captivating star from this
2: movie? Oh, oh, for sure, for sure. I mean, she is. You 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 can't take your eyes off of her. Yeah, and and I and you know and I, I was cracking wise earlier about how she's not much of an actor, but um, and you know she's not gonna. Nothing she ever did was gonna be up for an Oscar or anything, <laughs> but she. Um, I did like the way she played someone who is trying to, um, who is trying to deny her baser instincts in the face of someone who is nothing but, uh, you know, those in, those same oh, instincts. Oh yeah, Monica's you know. pure
1: id. It's just yeah, I do what I want. I'm gonna go do it.
2: Yep. Yeah, she is completely uninhibited, which is what Sister Emmanuel is trying so hard to keep an, uh, a cap on. And, I, you know, I thought Gimster did a fine job at doing that. And, um, yeah, I mean, if you – if for some reason someone said, I really want to get into the Gimster catalog, <laughs> uh, <laughs> there are worse places to start than Sister Emmanuel.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, except it's not a good movie. Let's let's just put that out there. It is not a good movie by any objective terms. But it delivers what you want from a movie called Sister Emmanuel. I mean, you're mm-hmm. not – you know, like you said, you're not – expecting uh, any Oscar caliber thing, but it's, it's for a movie that is an erotic movie. It is wall to wall. Oh yeah. Nuded. I mean, again, it is, I, I, am just sort of amazed at how much I wonder how these things get made, where it's like, you're talking to this actress, Monica, which again, from what I just read, it sounds like she was a wild child in real life, but it's like, yeah. you're, you're pitching this to this actress and you're like, okay, you're going to be topless and bottomless
0: through most
1: of the shoot. I, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Good Lord, you know, I mean, it's just <laughs> unbelievable and so excited. I mean, she is Gemser is absolutely gorgeous in this movie. The cheekbones to die for. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, just she's just genetically gifted. There's just mm-hmm. no doubt about. It. You can understand why she was a model first, um, and you know, I mean, she had a she had a just a certain. Kind of real captivating uh, allure about her in films. I mean, that's that's true of a lot of actors where they're not necessarily great actors, but they have star quality. Yeah, and it's just yeah. the thing you can't put your finger on, and she's got it. So I mean, it's like I said, I wouldn't recommend watching this movie other than just for curiosity's sake because it does plot along. Um, all the stuff with the with Gabriel Tinty as the escaped killer is just he's gr- he's so grubby. That's the thing that happens he in these is. movies. <laughs> <laughs> these women discover these guys who look like they haven't bathed in two weeks, and like within five minutes are like, "Oh,
2: let's get it on!" I'm like,
1: "What? Yeah. Like when?" Like,
2: well, you know, and we should we should. What did I miss you know, in the seventies? Yeah, and we, we know we should explain that a little bit because uh, the character the uh, Renee I think is his name he um, he is hiding out in an abandoned home next to a stream I guess or a lake that the that the girls go to as part of a, an outing. And Monica goes there and finds him instantly seduces him, yep, of course, again, seduces oh. not, hard. you, know. yeah, yeah, no, no, she basically just has to smile, and I think she drops her top, maybe. yep, I don't remember something like that <laughs> and and so, and he is like supposed to be like a mad dog, bank robber, killer. Uh, but he's dressed generally? like a
1: paramilitary guy. Like he's got like yeah. – he's all in camouflage and he's practically got like one of those chewy Chewbacca bandol-
2: bandoliers on. Yeah, like he yeah, like, yeah. Wait, and, and, you know, and like a like a two-week layer of grime and sweat <laughs> and you know, just and, – and so she seduces him, goes back out. Um, and then that night Renee goes to uh, the convent and she lets him in mm-hmm. and tells him about a secret hiding place. So obviously she set it up with him. To give him a hiding place, and after that he is pretty much under her thumb, mm-hmm. you know. And so, and yeah, and that's that's how that's how Sister Emmanuel gets mixed up with it, Anna, the, the roommate gets mixed up with it. It, it. Yeah, it it is crazy.
1: Yeah, it's uh, and I it, I, don't, I never saw this one. I've seen some of the other Manuel films as I mentioned, but this mm-hmm. one I had never seen, and I had no idea there were this many. That she yeah. went and did twelve of these things. I mean, my God! I mean, they just went on forever. <laughs> Obviously, these things are moneymakers. So, like I said, you can find this film on YouTube. Uh, it's it it's unusual in that Laura Gemser, who you expecting to be the one who bangs everybody, gets shunted off to the side for the most part. There is a, there is a, a ton of nudity, so you know, mm-hmm. be warned, everybody. Uh, but uh, but yeah, so that's that's Sister Emanuel. Uh, I think uh, we're going to be ready to move on. To something a little different Which, as I said, the yeah. Italian puzzle Apocalyptic film Endgame uh, But we're going to take a little break And uh, we're going to run some podcast promos And when we come back, we are going to talk about The uh, second part of our double feature Endgame.
0: Stay tuned Let's all go to the lobby Let's all go to the lobby Let's all go to the lobby To get ourselves a treat
2: Hey there! Welcome to The Mirror Factory. I'm the foreman, Max Romero, so let me tell you a little bit about what we do here. The Mirror Factory is a podcast where we talk about your favorite passages from novels, novellas, and short stories. Each episode features a different guest, who will tell us a little about the book their passage is from and why it means so much to them. Then that guest will give us a special reading of their favorite passage for our listeners. If you think you'd like to be a guest on The Mirror Factory, drop us a line at Factory Mirror on Twitter, The Mirror Factory on Facebook, or at mirrorfactorypodcast at gmail.com. The Mirror Factory is a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Time to get back to work. Until next time, read a book.
0: Tradition since it was started back in 2012 can be followed on your video contactors in any corner of this planet The zone chosen for the event lies between 22nd and 33rd Street in the port area The game is slated to start in about 20 minutes and will end at 6 o'clock tomorrow morning The three hunters will therefore have 12 hours to track down their prey In this case, Ron Shannon Now this is the 7th time that endgame champion Shannon has volunteered to be the prey After competing successfully 22 times as the hunter Although Shannon is reputed to be unbeatable, the odds are slightly against him, maybe because luck eventually runs out for everyone, even for one of the game's all-time greats. Each player is allowed to carry one firearm and two other weapons of his own choice. Anyone found with additional weapons is automatically disqualified. As you know, the prey has the option of surrendering if he's still undiscovered after the first six hours. But if he chooses to do so, he is penalized by the loss of points in the championship standings and is not eligible for start money. Ron Shannon has never surrendered.
1: And we're back with our drive-in double feature, Les, a.k.a. Gemster cast. And uh, like I said, we are going to talk about something about as, as far away from Sister Emmanuel as you can get, which is 1983's Endgame, directed by Joe Diamato, the auteur. Uh, Max, why don't you tell us, what is the plot of Endgame? All
2: right. S- okay. Such as it is. Such as it is. Endgame. In the year 2025, <laughs> just five years from now, people. We're almost there. I think we're going to make it. We're almost there. We're almost there. New York City is a radioactive wasteland following nuclear war. The remaining population live their lives as best they can in the ruins of the city, which frankly doesn't seem to be all that different from early 80s New York, (laughs) except for the telepathic mutants who are marked for death by the fascist security service. The populace is pacified by Endgame, a televised manhunt in which three hunters try to track and kill a single running man. Whomever kills the runner wins money that's been put into a pot or the runner earns the money by either killing his pursuers or surviving for 12 hours. Veteran contestant and fighter Ron Shannon, our hero, is volunteering himself as prey for a record seventh time, adding to an unprecedented run in which he has never surrendered. To provide a challenge, Endgame is pitting Shannon against some of of its most storied hunters, including Karnak, Shannon's childhood friend and now greatest nemesis. But once the hunt begins, Shannon is approached by Lilith, a beautiful mutant leader who promises Shannon a box of gold bars to ferry a group of people to a distant rendezvous, where the mutants will be taken to safety beyond the wasteland. To get there, Shannon, Lilith, and a band of hired guns will have to fight their way through feral gangs, blind homicidal monks, and the relentless Karnak. 1983's Endgame stars Al Cliver as Shannon, Laura Gemser as Lilith, even though she was credited as Maura Chen, and George Eastman as Karnak. Also known as Bronx Lotta Finale, the Italian film was co written, directed, and produced by Joe D'Amato, working here under the pseudonym Steve Benson. Aldo Florio was also a co writer of what D'Amato said was his favorite among the 197 films he had directed. <laughs> and that is Endgame.
1: I, this, ugh, oh, okay. <laughs> I, all right, I, you, can, you
2: can do it, Rob. You can I, do I,
1: this, I, Okay, I have to give this whole thing a little bit of context. The first film that I picked uh, when Max and I were deciding what Gemster films to talk about, the first one I picked was uh, a 1974 film she did called Black Cobra Woman, uh, which starred Jack Palance. So, I mean, how can I not watch that movie, you know, uh, Laura Gemster and Jack Palance? And it's on Amazon Prime. And so I watched Black Cobra Woman, and aside from the fact that all the nude scenes have been chopped out of that, that print, which is – what's the point? Um, what? That film – yeah. At the minute everybody's about to have sex, they cut away, which is like, that's, that's not why I'm watching this movie. Um, but that film uh, fe- features actual uh, footage of um, animals being killed real-life animals being killed, and uh, I fucked that movie, so uh, we, I immediately gave up on it. Uh, do not ever watch Black Cobra Woman, and so I moved right on to Endgame, uh, because then, and, and I was like, well, Larry Max, I'm going to pick a different movie. In the meantime, I'm going to watch Endgame. So I watched Endgame, and I was already in kind of a bad mood, uh, and then this <laughs> film did not help that, because uh, this film <laughs> makes me angry in many, many, many ways. Oh, wow. Um, uh, first of all, I mean, just as an aside, uh, this movie takes place in twenty twenty five. I mean, again, I think between the coronavirus and Trump, we are almost here. <laughs> I mean, I think we can make it. I, I think twenty twenty three is probably a, uh, a better, a better a guess, a guesstimate of where we're going to get to this.
2: Um, I'm, I'm sharpening up my gladiator trident already.
1: Absolutely, but okay, Maura, uh, Maura Chen. Again, she's she's billed as Maura Chen. I don't know mm-hmm. why. I mean, Laura Gemser. That's like, why would you do that? But anyway, Laura Gemser, uh, the most one of the most beautiful women to ever grace the silver screen, um, is dressed <laughs> head to toe in Jedi robes. Yep. Uh, or she's kind of looks like Katherine Kath, Hepburn in *The Mad Woman of Chalet*. Uh,
2: mm-hmm.
1: And I'm like, why do you hire Laura Gemser and then cover her from head to toe? Uh, in, in these clothes, let I me, mean, what's the point of that? And then the one moment that we get of Laura Gemser topless is in a rape scene, yeah. uh, where she is raped yeah. by a blue skinned mutant who drools all over her. And I was like, no, God, that's not that. No, no, yeah. Joe, yeah. no, Joe D'Amato. No, by the way, he did a bunch of films. You mentioned 197 credits, 197 films. He directed, he did that in just 25 years. Oh, really? 25 years. He did 197 films. He wow. was also the, the auteur behind Black Cobra Woman. He did Emmanuel mm-hmm. in Bangkok, Emmanuel in America, The Erotic Nights of the Living Dead, and Sexy Erotic Love, all of which starred Laura Gemser So he and Gemser had a real Joseph von Sternberg, Melina Dietrich <laughs> thing going on, except not good. Um, <laughs> but, like, it just seems such a pathetic waste to have Laura I mean, and I know that I'm kind of like arguing both ends of it where it's like well you know if you think Laura Gemser could do more than just get naked on a, in a movie you got to put her in a movie where she gets more than naked but to me it's like mm-hmm. you're you could have given her a part and given her she plays this mutant with telepathic powers you could have given her something more to do with with also not sacrificing her amazing exotic looks and then if you're going to do a nude scene, don't make it a goddamn rape scene, which doesn't yeah. even pay off. Like, it's not even like the blue mutant mm-hmm. guy gets killed or mm-hmm. she gets revenge on him. It's just he, he kidnaps her, ties her to a bed, rips her, uh, her top off, drools on her, has, has sex with her uh, – rapes her. I should say not has sex with right. uh, Be Very clear about that. Yeah, has, yeah. Rapes her. And then that's it. Like, that's the end of it. And I, that just made mm-hmm. me really, really angry. Yeah.
2: Yeah. They, they cut back and he's basically just asleep. Yeah. And, and, uh, yeah. And then they come and get her and that's, that's it. But yeah. And, and what's, what's weird is that, you know, Gemser, I mean, I, I kind of guessed that maybe she was trying to make slightly more legitimate movies at this point, maybe, because this is, this is later in her career. Right. Um, but again, and not to harp on her abilities, <laughs> but, uh, if you were going to have Gimser fully dressed, uh, playing essentially a mutant uh, leader. Don't give her a role where she mostly speaks telepathically. So she just stands there with her mouth closed, and they can dub it in later. Yeah, while someone while someone dubs in the voice over that. Yeah, you know. So yeah, I mean, it was just it's it's a it's a waste of first like you said it's a, it's a waste of Gemzer's just natural uh, allure. And her charisma, because they just bury it under these dirty rags, essentially. And but also, you know, if she wanted to act at all in this movie, she is given absolutely nothing to do. No, no. Yeah, she, she is just standing there. Uh, this is really, uh, this this really, this movie is really for um, uh, Al Cliver. And, you know, this is this is this is an Al Cliver vehicle.
1: Wow. Think of, think of that. Think of those words yeah. in that order. That's an Al Cliver vehicle. This playing, is an Al Cliver playing, vehicle. Playing Ron Shannon, not exactly the most heroic name I've ever heard in the world. Ron Shannon. If Adventure no. has a name, it's Ron Shannon. Really? <laughs> Couldn't you call him Dirk something? Really? Ron and, Shannon. Okay.
2: And, and he looks like he should be manning the counter at like a convenience store. <laughs> he, he, does not, he does not look like, you know, the hero of the wastelands.
1: No. And then, you know, another thing that, that, that angers me about these movies where things take place in a post-apocalyptic world, but then there's also like these Hunger Games kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And you're like, wait, hold on. And this is literally the same problem I had with the Hunger Games when I went and saw that, where it's like, we clearly live in a totalitarian post-apocalyptic world. They've established that there's this scene with all of these guys in like a, in like a dark room and they're at this table and they're talking about, we have to, we'll keep the, the masses mollified. They're like, no, wait, we already live in a totalitarian regime. There is no reason to have hunger games to entertain people. Right. Like, you've already top down taken control of everybody down to the, down to the point where you have shock troops. That run around – I mean, uh, now that I'm saying it, it's, are we that far off from that really? But, um, but I mean, you know what I mean? It's like you've got guys in gas masks – gas, gas masks, hard to say – who go <laughs> around shooting mutants and like, willy-nilly and everything is this – you know everything is wreckage and you're like – but yet people have like TV that they can watch? Like, mm-hmm. And there's even a line about we could have a nuclear war and people wouldn't get away from their television. Right, yeah, I think right. they kind of would. I really think they would because they would all be dead. So like just even the premise is like this makes no sense
2: to me. Well, you know and this this movie rips off a lot of things. Um, it rips off Running Man, which was published the year before this was this movie was released. Uh it obviously rips off Mad Max. It's uh it's ripping off Judge Dredd <laughs> because it's it's the whole idea of, you know, of a of a city that somehow is surviving on its, And you know, like I said, it's it really doesn't look all that different from any other, you know, uh grubby future world because there's TV, there's clubs, there's people on the street, uh you know, I mean and they all have like people, face makeup on.
1: They all Yeah. They look like yeah. uh, the Patty Smythe song The Warrior in that video, <laughs> you know.
2: I have a, I have a note here saying that they to me they look like extras from a Billy Idol video.
1: Yeah, right,
0: exactly. Yeah. <laughs>
2: And, and you know, and for the most part, people seem to be living their life. But I guess outside of the city, uh, you know, that's where you have the irradiated freaks and you have the feral people and things get dicey outside. And they say that more than once, how, you know, oh, they'll never survive, you know, even a day. And but I don't know how people survive in the city anyway, especially because the 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 security service, which you know, in case you thought it was too subtle, actually have the lightning bolt SS on their helmets. <laughs> <laughs> um, they, you know, they're basically just going around shooting uh, mutants and uh, and killing them because for reasons, I, I guess. <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't know really why. Um, and And, yeah, and so there's apparently some place where mutants can go to be safe and free as long as you can fit in a four-panel van. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> so. The
1: other thing too is that essentially the, the 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 thrust of the movie, the end game itself, only lasts about twenty five minutes. Yeah, because at that yeah. point, Ron Shannon—I never get tired of saying that name—Ron <laughs> Shannon is on the RV with with Laura Gemser, and they're just they're like that. Then the movies, that part of the movie's over. And I mean, it's, it continues mm-hmm. to be a chase because uh, the George Eastman character chases them, and and so you could argue, well, now it's a real life end game. But it's just right. like to me it's like the whole the whole opening of the movie is this setup for oh we're gonna see this cat and mouse thing where it's gonna be televised and people are you know, bread and circuses. And yet all that kind of fades away and it just becomes a kind of boring chase movie out in this middle of this desert. And I'm like, well
2: what happened in the end game at least? So yeah. it's
1: a little well, you know, okay.
2: And and the and the hunt itself is not even that exciting. No, intense. they kind
1: of just walk around and find each yeah. other and then shoot each other. Like There's no yeah. strategy or any like death traps or anything. It's just like no. they're just wandering like, oh, well, there he is. Bang. Oh, he's dead. Like, well, wow, that was quick. Okay.
2: Yeah. You know, and I guess it's supposed to show how, how much Ron Shannon is, what what a badass he is, but the first guy I mean, and seriously, I mean, how far away are they from their start point? Maybe like three blocks, four blocks. Right, yeah. <laughs> they, they, they didn't get very far. And the guy shoots at him throws a knife at him i don't even remember and and uh ron shannon kills him very easily yeah and then the karate guy catches up to him and that's the beginning of a a night of a neat fight i guess but then that's over and then his friend karnak tries to kill him and um ron shannon i'm gonna say his full name every time ron shannon absolutely (laughs) he uh ends up beating Karnak, but sparing his life, which is why Karnak later tracks him through the wasteland. Right. Yeah, it this none of this movie makes sense.
1: And all the costumes, like, they all – like, when, he, the, when they when they make it out into, like, the, the hinterlands and they start running into, like, rival gangs, everybody's dressed like Mata Hoople, you know what I mean? They all have, like, these <laughs> furs on. Like, it's all just kind of, like, this amalgamation. And, you, I mean, look. In the desert. Everyone's in the wearing, desert, by the way. Right. They're wearing, wearing, they're in wearing, the wearing furs and like, six layers even though they're out in the goddamn <laughs> desert. Um, and then the other gist is that, that there's a little boy uh, that uh, that Laura gemster's character is is – Trying to protect because he's going to be like a super powerful Mm -hmm. mutant. He's got like you know er, like amazing powers kind of thing. So I mean, the X Men movies completely stole this plot. (laughs) You guys bunch of hacks. Um, But yeah, Yeah,
2: he's the the first telekinetic, I think.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah, and then they said there's they run there's a biker gang and they're all wearing like different masks and stuff. Mm -hmm. And again, it really is just a, a stew pot of Mad Max. A Billy Idol video and just all these costumes that you have lying around, and the idea that you know Joe DiMaggio says this is his favorite of his films. I, yes.
2: just, <laughs> I was like Joe. Oh my God, Joe!
1: I, I, I aim higher, Joe. I mean, I don't. I don't know. Um, yeah, it, it's just you know, and then again, the the, the scene with with Laura Gemser, and, and that's unfortunate. And mm-hmm. I kept like it really is mostly this Al Cliver guy who doesn't say much either. Um no. he's kind of mostly monosyllabic through the films. There's again there's some some torture scenes. There's a guy g- who gets um caught into like a stock, the thing where you put your hands in your head right, through the right, thing right. and then his head gets twisted around and stuff like that. Well
2: you know what that's a ripoff too. That's a that's a ripoff of Omac. It's it's it is totally the the I did that friend. With- from Omac.
1: That I didn't think you were going there, Max. I have to say the fact that you mentioned Omac in this, but yeah, it, 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 I mean it's just it's just a garbled mess. And yeah. obviously, um, your penchant for these kinds of films, you know, you you're, you know, you let the buyer beware kind of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. I've seen some of these films. I mentioned some of the other actors. Like Al Cliver has been filmed. He was in Zombie, the Lucio Filtry film. He was in a movie called Flying Sex, which just sounds fun. Uh, Demonia (laughs) Forever Emmanuel, which did not feature Laura Gemser, confusingly. George Eastman, who plays Karnak, was in 2020 Texas Gladiators, which sounds like the same exact film as this. 1990 Bronx Warriors, uh, which was memorably parodied on Mystery Science Theater, features Trash. Uh, That's a fun movie. (laughs) He's in a movie called Porno Holocaust, which, you know, Wow. Uh, Erotic Nights of the Living Dead with Laura Gemser. He was in Django Prepare a Coffin. By the way, I love movies with commas in the title. We need more of that. <laughs> um, and then the big, the big kind of set piece at the end is when all these all the, the paramilitary guys grab our heroes, and the kid uh, uses finally uses his mental powers to turn the the tide on everybody, and he makes like the main bad guy shoot himself in the head and stuff like. that. And it's sort of funny because this little kid, this like little moppet from uh, Eight Is Enough, looking kind of kid, he makes. People kill themselves because the one guy shoots himself in the head. And then as soon as it's over, the kid's like, yay. And Laura Gemsters like, yay. And you're like, well, this was kind of a horrible thing you all just went through. I don't know if it's a time for celebrating exactly. Cause yeah. you just had like a nine year old commit several murders. I mean, justified, but I think it would be kind of scarring a little bit.
2: You, this movie has so many, and I can't believe I'm even going to say this. It had so many gunfights Oh, that man. I started, I started to tune out. Yeah, there there were so many and so long because even even with the kid, you know, because the kid uh, takes control of a, of a machine gun and he's making people kill themselves and all these things, but it's just like constant, you know, and endless endless streams of people falling over. <laughs>
0: ah! Ah!
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it it just was kind of boring. You know, and and there are long scenes of people walking from one side of a room to another. (laughs) And just – this movie was really stretched out. Um, And And it's only about 96 minutes long too. Yeah, yeah, but it feels so much longer. And there is – even as a ripoff, there was a germ of what could have been a fun movie here. Um, But it just seemed to be very obstinately against that idea (laughs) It it just it just wanted to kind of go from plot point to plot point, filling in, um, uh, you know, random gunfights. Where do you know what it was like? Actually, now that I think about it, it is a lot like um, like a porn film, which which barely has a plot and is only an excuse to go from one sex scene to another. Right. Except in this case, the sex scenes are gunfights. Right.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just – I mean, again, they're exploitation films. They're, you're not expecting anything high art when you get them. By the way, the poster for this movie is amazing. The, oh, post, yeah. the poster delivers way more than any other movie does because it's got this guy in, like, this like, gladiator costume. He looks amazing. I will – in an effort to say something nice about this movie, I will say the one thing I genuinely liked about it was the final scene between Ron Shannon, Esquire, mm-hmm. and, uh, and Karnak <laughs> – where they have – by the way, I love Karnak's costumes. He looks awesome in this movie. He has these cool, like, hard plastic vests with these, like, designs oh, yeah. on him. He looks he looks awesome. But anyway, the two of them finally –
2: He should have been the hero.
1: Kind of, yeah. George Eastman's <laughs> – yeah, he's got – yeah. Oh, Al, Al Cliver is just a, a block of wood in this movie. He's just he, There's so many scenes of him, like, squinting into the camera, and I'm like, am I supposed to pick up something? Is he angry? Is he <laughs> – constipated i don't know what's the problem I mean, what, what is it is he mad that he can't see laura gemster naked either i don't know um george eastman has got this kind of snarling like he's really kind yeah. of chewing it but anyway after everybody has been rescued and laura gemster's character's been taken off and the little kid has been taken off and we're just left with ron shannon and and, and they. They, you know now it's like oh well they both survived Endgame and now here they are together and there's there's this great Sergio Leone kind of close-ups of either one of them as they stare at each other then they start running towards each other and yeah. then the, the the film freezes before they get to it and and then we get credits and I was like well first of all Sylvester Stallone stole that from the end of Rocky three <laughs> a hack but I mean I like that I genuinely liked I liked that kind of fun nature of like. Here here's the big climactic fight between our main protagonist and the bad guy and we're not even going to show it. We're going to like these two are just going to fight forever because that's who they are. That I genuinely thought was clever.
2: You know, I actually like that too. And part of what I liked is because just before um just before uh Lilith uh, Laura Gemser's character I Keep calling top.
1: her Laura Gemser yeah. it's Lilith. Yes.
2: Uh, on the on the uh, on the helicopter which you know because of course in Post-apocalyptic America, you still have helicopters. Sure, of course. The, uh, she tries to convince uh, Ron Shannon to go with her, and he has this great corny line saying, "You, uh, you are the future. I am the past." <laughs> you know, as as a reason for why he can't go with her. And then, you know, but they follow. They 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 follow up on that promise by, with that last scene. That's you know, that is true. You know now that you're saying it, that is true. He can't go because he he is not he can't live in a future where there because there's a professor who gives a big speech about how how the the psychic mutants won't kill even in self defense and uh but he all he knows is killing. And so he can't go with them. He has no place there. Which I think is like the one redeeming thing about this. He's like John Wayne in The Searchers. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: it's clearly evoking the final shot of John Ford's The Searchers with Ethan on the porch. There we go. There it is. Oh man! You made these connections. Uh, this film's a classic. I take all this back.
2: <laughs> oh,
1: ah, uh, yeah. I mean, look again. We're we're Max and I are dumping on this movie because it's fun too. It, it, it you know. It, what are you expecting from a night, a film directed by Joe D'Amato, uh That's a post apocalyptic you know movie shot in Italy where everybody's dubbed. I mean, again, you know what you're getting. You really do know what you're getting. I do think the pacing is a bit slack because, as yeah. you said, it does just become repetitive of just endless footage of some guy on a cliffside going buta and then another guy falling onto a mattress somewhere. Uh, hopefully, fell onto a mattress, uh, but <laughs> maybe this film never just fell onto the dirt. But it, so it, it's the same thing with Sister Emanuel, and that it's yes, it delivers the goods that you want, but they it's so kind of lifeless in between that it's a sl- kind of a slog getting there. And for for two mm-hmm. movies that are very short, they did seem kind of long and literally, right. you know, just like all right already. But
2: yeah,
1: I, and we do have to ask, and I think we both know the answer to this question: Is this a good uh, showcase for Laura Gemser?
2: No, no. <laughs> no, not at all, because, um, as you said, she is she is really a she is not the main character in this in this movie at all. And and if you if I was to say, oh, you you know, Laura Gems Gemser is just a beautiful, charismatic woman, even in terrible movies. This is not going to show you that.
1: Yeah. 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 As you say, it's a lot of footage of her looking around with dialogue overdubbed you know, 80 yard in. And so, yeah. And, and the, her costume does her no favors. Uh, yeah, she just, she, all the charm and, and sort of erotic exoticism of her, just, you just don't get that here. And so, and, and the rape scene is just very troubling because you're just like, ah, this is, this is just pure, gross, violent titillation. And I'm all, fi- I'm all fine with having, uh, you know, completely gratuitous titillation in your movie, but don't, don't add that violent, you know, I it just made me feel bad for her that she had to sit there and endure some actor in blue makeup, you know, drooling yeah. all over her. And again, like I said, it doesn't pay off. You know, it does, the guy doesn't get it, it killed or anything. It just it just moves on. I understand it's a hard right. world, but it just it just didn't need to be in there.
2: Yeah, no, and especially since you know she's kind of passive,
1: I guess in in the whole in yeah. that scene. Yeah,
2: and yeah, it was just it's very. Um... It's very squeaky.
1: Yeah, but I mean, Joe Giamato, man, you know, 197 films in 25 years. I guess he didn't have a lot of time for second, second thoughts. You know, he was just like, you know, it's like Ed Wood. What's what, what's the refilm? It was perfect. You know, he's that kind of thing. I guess he said that in it, in Italian, however. So, uh, so yeah, that's that's Endgame, not the Avengers one. The the other one, the other one called Endgame. Uh, oh, one more thing.
2: Did you notice who was driving the van?
1: Uh, no. Who's driving the van?
2: Stark. Stark? Yeah, someone named Stark. So there is a connection between oh, this Endgame right. and that's right. I thought you meant the actor.
1: Yeah, no, yeah, they call him Stark. That's right. There we go. There's, oh. Yeah, it just it's... Uh, I am inevitable. Alright, All right, fine, it's Endgame. But it, 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 it is funny how much you have to type in Endgame to find... like you, how much yeah. other information you have to type in to Google to find anything about this film, because of course you type in Endgame and the first 900 hits are Avengers Endgame. You have to be like, Endgame, Joe Giamato, 1983, and then you finally mm-hmm. get some stuff. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, it's uh, – uh, we really took one for the team, took two for the team in this case for this Laura Gemser <laughs> double feature, Max. So, I don't know. I mean, how do we feel about this? Would, would we want to watch more Laura Gemser movies or do you feel like you're you're good here?
2: You know, I think Laura <laughs> Gemser – I can't wait I to think... hear the conclusion of this. I think Laura Gimser has more to offer. Okay. Yes, I, I, I would watch another another Laura Gimser movie.
1: Okay. All right. Well, all right. We'll, what about you? we'll do that. I think so. You? I mean, Erotic Nights of the Living Dead sounds. Really interesting, <laughs> I have to say. So we will leave that up to you, everybody. In the comments over on our website, com. you can tell us what you thought of this episode and whether you would want to hear more Laura Gimpser talk on the drive-in double feature. We'll kind of leave that up to you. Max and I have a billion other movies we can cover, uh, but maybe we'll we'll, we'll give Laura Gimpser a second, uh, a second chance or something in some other films. So while we're here, let's just jump right to... The feedback we got from the last Drive in Double Feature, which was our show on Criminals, where we talked about Truck Stop Women and uh, <laughs> Bonnie's kids. Uh, truck Stop Women. So, <laughs> um, By the way, I'm a truck. I, I, but I'm a truck. By the way, I, <laughs> I, I need to tell you guys a couple of days ago, uh, my, my better half, Kelly, listened to that episode and okay. I, while she was at work. And so she's, like, IMing me as she's getting through it, and she's like, what is this Truck Stop Women movie? What is this? And then she was like, Rosie kills her mom? That's hardcore. I was like, yeah, yeah, there it is. So she
2: was. I I, I feel like we owe Cindy Franklin, like, some sort of. Personal apology. <laughs>
1: well, it's, okay, we're going to get into that. Let, that that's going to lead in right to the first comment. By the way, so the first the first comment is from Chris Franklin from this very network, of course. He says, "Well, you guys gave me another two movies to watch, and with Christmas over and holiday movies now out of season, why not binge some exploitation films disguising themselves as crime movies? I'm not really sure why exploitation. Uh, I'm not really sure why exploitation made it down into New Mexico, but I will just apologize, Max. We'll try and keep that to my neck of the woods from now on." The subatomic level of the section you guys went into on these films was fantastic. I loved it. Do more. Now, the problem with this uh, message is I know what's coming in future <laughs> messages on this page from Chris. So that's what makes me sad. We'll get to that in a moment. Uh, the next comment is from David S. Gutierrez. He says, oh, this was magic. The West Texas truck stops are havens of human trafficking and drugs. Ask Max about the petrol station going east on 110 as you're leaving El Paso. Max, what, what, do we, what, what, what is David referring to?
2: Well, let me let me preface this by saying when I worked at a newspaper, <laughs> I used to get – I worked – I was a, I was a copy editor, so I was getting out of work usually around 1 o'clock in the morning or so. Oh, Lord. And the, uh, the truck stops were one of the few places still open sure. at that time. of course. So I used to go to that petrol station <laughs> oh, pretty <wow>. often. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, very good food. And if you ever wanted a uh, to find a skanky a truck stop uh, parking lot hooker, uh-huh. that was also the place to go. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> um, the, you know, El Paso is kind of in the middle of its own area. Uh, the, closest, the closest big city, not including Las Cruces, which is like an hour away, which is not that big a city, is Albuquerque, which is four hours away. Uh, and everything else around it besides, well, besides Juarez, uh, which is a million people. But um, everything else in the U.S. is far away and it's all desert. So, uh, yeah, I, I have to say when when David is talking about, you know, criminality happening <laughs> at truck stops, it's, it's uh, only a little bit of hyperbole.
1: I, I really think you and David need to need to work on El Paso Cast or something. I To hear
2: this, it sounds like
1: great, A bunch of great stories. It would be like our town, but just way sleazier. That sounds really, really cool. So, all right. Well, I, I,
2: I wish it was that interesting. Okay, well,
1: well, you know, maybe you're underselling it. Maybe you just got used to it. So, anyway, the next comment is from uh, Gord Tolton. So, Max, take it away.
2: Uh, Gord says, "I think Max and I must have grown up in the same community, though mine was in the west of Canada." I too had my heroes as truckers and stunt drivers and saw many of these hick flakes, don't laugh, in my own hick town theater, waiting for my dad to finish his many barley and rice sandwiches in the hotel tavern across the street before we drove home to the farm. I don't remember either film, but I know I saw many like it. In my memory I recall Two Lane Blacktop, Gone in Sixty Seconds, Sugarland Express, Fast Green Car, and Electric Glide in Blue, that went in rotation with Black Exploitation and Kung Fu films in the Tower Theater. You can guess I will be looking for truck stop women and this time I shouldn't have to worry about puberty.
0: Hmm. <laughs>
2: okay.
1: I've seen a couple of the films he's mentioned. I saw Like mm-hmm. God in Blue and I've seen uh Sugarland Express. So yeah, oh. I mean that really that really was a whole thing back then. So
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, exploitation so that was a golden era of exploitation, yeah. movies.
1: Barley and Rye Sandwich, that doesn't, I don't know, that doesn't sound that good, but, uh, you know, who am I to judge? Uh, so, so now we get yeah, you know. Canada, it's Canada, it's Canada, Jake. So uh, now we're going, now Chris Franklin chimes back in, and then now he is, this is the sadness begins. Cindy and I watched Truck Stop Women, afterwards she just turned and stared at me as if to say, why did you make me watch this? I said, blame Rob. What the hell? I didn't tell Chris, I did not tell you to tell Cindy to watch this movie. That's not fair. That, uh, okay. All kidding aside, it was a fun bit of exploitation with some, dare I say it, dare I say it actual character development. I kept trying to police Ciego so yeah, without looking him up, and suddenly it hit me. Lieutenant Kelso from the uh, Star Trek's Where No Man Has Gone Before, actor Paul Carr. Next up, Bonnie's Kids, but I may be flying solo with that one. See, that's the sad thing, is that... <laughs> Cindy is never going to trust my movie picks ever again, even though I did not tell her to watch Truck Stop Women. That's not fair. And especially because she's now thinking Bonnie's Kids is just as bad. And when we already talked about it, that Bonnie's Kids is actually a genuinely good movie.
2: Right, right. And I think these movies are – okay, first of all, you need to know what you're getting into. Yes. <laughs> you know, these movies are a crapshoot. And even the ones that are good are not necessarily going to be great. So you have to, you have to kind of roll with that. And also, you know, I think we talked about this on the on the last episode. But the more I thought about it, the more truck stop women actually started to like really ingratiate itself with me. Oh boy! Um, yeah, and I, I now I have I have warm fuzzies for the for truck stop women. And um, it's a curious choice choice of phrase, man. Well, <laughs> <yeah. laughs> and uh, yeah, rated X. The <laughs> and the um, I, you know, I, I hope. Cindy understands that, you know, we're, we're a lot of times we're discovering these movies along with everybody else and, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, you, you, you take it as it is and you know, it'll, it'll, everything's going to be okay.
1: Yeah, she, She's done with me. She doesn't,
2: this, the
1: stuff she says to me privately is shocking. She's just, she thinks I'm she'll, just, she'll
2: forgive, she'll forgive. I don't know. She, I, maybe we'll see.
1: We'll see. So, um, all right. Well, next up is Gothos Mansion. So, Max.
2: Gothos Mansion says, awesome show, guys. Great to have more B-movie discussions. Since I'm a B-movie fan living in Alabama with a lot of truck-driving relatives, of course, I've seen truck-stop women. And probably, you know, it's probably something they show in grade school. Do you think I, you would ever
1: see the words, of course, I've seen Trump Stop Women,
2: <laughs> in that order? <laughs> well, you know what? We we need more t-shirts in our store. I'm, we need a, that. That's all it has to say. Of course, I've seen Trump Stop Women. <laughs> Don't even ask. <laughs> um, I didn't realize it was directed by Mark Lester, and until he started naming off some entries in his over, overall, uh, over, over. And... <laughs> In, <laughs> in his list. I think it's Uvra. Uvra, I, Uvra. I didn't realize I had seen... Uh, uh, six quotes are going to get on me. I didn't realize <laughs> I had seen so many of his movies. Maybe the setting of the movies were determined by where the movie, maker, movie makers could film. Truck Stop Women was set in the Southwest, and I believe Bobby Joe and the Outlaw was as well. Lesser would probably was able to use locations, crew, etc. he had already used for Truck Stop Women. A lot of 70s skin flicks seem to have tragic endings. In addition to the two you covered, Bobby Joe has one, not surprising since it was the same director as Up Women, The Teacher, Malibu High, I could go on and on. Uh, Finally, I'm going to double down on my comment about the nothing nothing guys getting with hot girls in the B movies in the dream, even if the guys have to perish. Just think, if you got to be with Linda Carter, Laura Gemser, Brink Stevens, Caroline Monroe, Anitra Ford, Pam Greer, Barbara Boucher, Michelle Bauer, etc., wouldn't you think, hey man, I've topped out. Life is never going to be any better than this, and it will be all downhill from here.
1: He's got a point. I mean, look at that list. I mean, Caroline yeah. Monroe, Anitra Ford, Laura Gemser,
2: Pam Greer. I mean, right? Yeah, <sighs> I, I think I would. I think I would do that thing that dealers in Las Vegas do, where they just kind of clap their hands and go, "I'm done. done. I'm out. Backing off <laughs> the table. Done. Good.
1: Yeah, it's true. He's got. A, he's got a real point there. Yeah. Uh, uh, Ward Hill Terry says, what a weird conversation. I loved it. There can't be many songs called I'm a truck. So they so the one I heard recently must've been the one at truck stop women. I don't even know where I heard it, but I like to listen to a lot of odd music programs. I don't need to waste any more time thinking about it or researching it.
2: You know, I'm learning so much about our listeners.
1: I it really, it's, it, this is a safe space, everybody. Uh, and then finally Chris Franklin comes back in again, he says, so reporting back in, I watched Bonnie's kids and I have to say, this is a far more dot, dot, dot legitimate movie than Truck Stop Women, but I agree with everything else you guys said. I found the characters very engaging, and there was certainly no one to root for. Larry may be the closest thing since he was so thick-headed, but since he was so thick-headed, he didn't even stop to think he may be doing something illegal. Diana was tragic, but there is that bit where she's basically sleeping with her niece, and I think definitely, uh, they definitely did the deed since they both got out of bed then got dressed. The following scene was honestly one of the most uncomfortable scenes I've watched in a film in a long time deplorable stepfather Charlie, played by Leo Gordon, showed up in the Haunted Palace in our most recent House on Frankenstein series as the local opposition to Vincent Price where he was murdered by his own mutated son. <laughs> this guy had trouble with family for sure. <laughs> I actually enjoyed watching this, so good on you guys for spotlighting it. Well, thank you, Chris. Like I said, that was, I would, yeah. I would straight up uh, recommend Bonnie's Kids to a lot of people. Not everybody. Oh, yeah. But oh, yeah. but it was it's a genuinely good movie as opposed to Truck Stop Women or Sister Emanuel or Endgame where you'd Really be like, eh, I don't know if you need to watch this. So. Well,
2: and, and again, I think we said this on, on the last episode, but, you know, Truck Stop Women is a movie I would definitely put on if I had a group of people mm-hmm. over. You know, yes. it's, it's a fun party movie. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. It's a shooting and there's a I'm a truck song and <laughs> yeah. corn pone humor and a sheriff and tidy whiteys, and oh, girls God. with big boobs. Yeah, it's definitely yeah. that kind of movie. So. So uh, anyway, thanks for the comments, everybody. Uh, of course, leave comments for this episode on our website, finewaterpodcast.com. Uh, we're always talking movies over on Twitter, which is at Film and Water Pod. And of course, you can support the Fine Podcast Network over on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash podcast, and there you can unlock different rewards, uh, and one of which is to be name-checked on a show of your choice. So big thanks to Neil Whitney for his support of the Film and Water Podcast. So Max, we did it. We took in yet another drive-in. Uh, I think yeah. we, I think we survived. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, uh, like I said, maybe we'll. There's there's so many things to cover that uh, maybe yeah. we'll get to some more Laura Gemster, But I think we have some other things uh, up in line first. So uh, I'm, thank you so much for doing this with me again.
2: Oh no, thank you. These these are these are a lot of fun, and I'm I'm glad that uh, I'm glad people are, are coming along for the ride.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So thanks everybody for listening, and uh, we will see you later until the next episode. That's a wrap.
0: Do you have these attacks of hysteria often? And how about your attacks of asininity? Do you have them often?